Praise the Lord in this house this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Karen. What an honor to have you in this place this morning. I feel since the presence of the Lord in a strong, profound way. I want to ask you in just a moment to stand back to your feet. Not quite yet. We're going to pray over the atmosphere even more. And then we're going to declare some things that are going to happen in this room today. I am sensing that there's going to be a divine encounter with so many of us today in the sense that your whole world's about to be rocked and to be wrecked and to be shattered and be back, put back together again by the goodness and the peace and the love of God. We're living in an era and we're living in a time where we must have now encounters with God. So I want you to stand to your feet all across the room, if you would, please. All across the room. I want you to grab your Bibles, and I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 14. I have a heavy word this morning. I'm still in the vein and talking about our culture, our society, the state of our churches, where we are, what's happening in our society, all of the above. I know that he's here. So, Lord, I lift up my hands to you today. God, I can do nothing to help your people. There's absolutely zero value inside of me that could bring about transformation in someone's world. But, God, I know that you can. I know that there are principles in this book And Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit has an agenda. So Lord, we want that agenda to take the rightful place here at the center. And Lord, every individual gets a love note, a squeeze, a hug, a pull, a call, a tap on the shoulder from you. That every single one of us leaves this place today knowing that we have been in the house of God. May they forget the name of this church, but may they never forget the encounter they had. So Lord, we give you all your authority as king, and we are nothing more than your subjects. So accomplish your decrees today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. You, you may be seated in the house. I want you to take a look with me at 1 Kings chapter 14. I'm going to get to verse 21 in just a moment, but I have to give you a little bit of backdrop in what has happened and took place up until this moment that I'm going to be reading this scripture. Those of you that are students of the Bible, you will understand that David would, was unable to build the temple of the Lord and God gave him the plans on how that temple should look like, what should it be like, what should be inside of it, what the decorations should be, the instruments should be. But David, the Bible says, was a man of much bloodshed, so God would not allow him to build his house. So Solomon, his son, was the one who was given the specific assignment and the blueprints to actually do the brick and the mortar, the building of the temple. 
King Solomon, if you will know, David's son was probably the richest man in all of history. He had the assignment to not only build the temple of God, but also the royal palace in Jerusalem. Are you with me? And so Solomon accepted the mandate and literally no expense was spared. In fact, they tell us, according to today's numbers, that if you combined the temple that he built and the royal palace, it was equivalent to $50 billion. It took 186,000 laborers and workers and seven and a half years to construct the royal palace as well as the temple. Now, they are not like typical churches today. This temple was not. It was luxurious in the highest fashion. I know people get upset from time to time when they walk into a church or in a building and they find it to be very plush. Nice things everywhere, paintings, sculptures, fixtures, instrumentation, technology. But you must understand that God, when he built his temple, even the tabernacle, if you will, in the wilderness, that inside the tabernacle and the temple, they did not cut corners. It was of the highest quality of jewels, of gold, and the craftsmanship. My goodness. Read your Bible that they would not just allow anyone to work inside. Your Bible says that they chose the choice blacksmiths from all over the region to come and to work on the house of God. In fact, even the instrumentalists, when David was putting together to bring the highest of praise to the Lord, the Bible says he just didn't say, does anybody feel led to play? That's good. That's right. He didn't. The Bible says that he chose the choices of instrumentalists. Now, all of us have to begin somewhere, right? So I'm not saying that, well, I feel led. Feel led all you want to. But remember, as Karen said, you're playing for a king. That if you're playing by yourself, be the best that you can be. If you're in a small group, practice to be the best that you can be. Come on, now talk to me in this house. Am I, am I in the right place today? But I wanted just to set the standard here and literally lay out the framework of what we're talking about with the house of God. Now you know also that when we get to heaven that it's not going to be two by four sheetrock, come on now somebody, a metal studs. y'all do know that, right? And the construction of heaven is not going to the cheapest bidder. Money is no object to God. Now, so here he is building the royal palace and building the temple, Solomon's temple as we know it. And $50 billion later, he has it. There was poverty then, homeless people then, people that were in famine. But God said, I want my house to be special. 
Touch somebody and say special. So Queen of Sheba, as I'm continuing to build, had heard about Solomon, his wisdom, and this house that he built, and the temple of God. Here's what she said. She said, I did not believe the words that I had heard about this place and your wisdom until I came and saw with my own eyes. And then she noted, and half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. You can find that in 1 Kings chapter 10. So as you can imagine, life under Solomon's reign was amazing. But after his death, David's grandson Rehoboam inherited the kingdom. This is where we pick up in verse 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years of age when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nehemiah, the Ammonites. Now Judah did evil, now watch this, in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all of their fathers had done. For they had built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to the, all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And it happened, very important in verse 25, that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything, the Bible says. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guard room. Because of Israel wandered and ventured away from their first love, God, Yahweh, people began to practice a lot of abomination, sin, just wickedness. There became a weakness into the very core of Israel's moral fabric. The king of Egypt, Shishak, heard and saw what was happening and decided to make his move and to attack the people of God. In your Bible, in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, you can read about the account that King Shishak's army consisted of 60,000 horsemen, 1,200 chariots, and an innumerable company of foot soldiers. And your Bible says that these Egyptians came and without restraint pillaged Israel and took every prized possession. Now this king of Egypt was not satisfied with walking into people's homes and plundering them and taking their jewels of the common man. No, but he had his eye on something of immense value. The gold 
inside the royal palace and the gold inside God's house, his temple. Your Bible tells us specifically in this text that the king of Egypt came and he took of the 300 shields of gold that Solomon had made for his, show, uh, for his soldiers as these soldiers protected and guarded the palace and the temple. Now stay with me, I'm giving you a lot of foundation, but it's gonna matter in a moment. So Solomon had 300 soldiers aligning the pathway from the royal palace to the temple to guard him as he would make his way into the house of God and then he would come into the house of God and everything was covered with gold. This king of Egypt decided, I am coming for the shields of gold. Now you have to understand something about the value of a shield of gold. It was estimated in our currency that each shield of gold was valued at $160,000 a piece. We're talking about the purest of gold. You know it must have been spectacular. Now I don't know if you have watched and seen the pomp and circumstance in England of the king and the queen. How every uniform is in place. I don't know if you've watched the drama of many of the weddings and even the funerals of those places. And even in our nation, when someone, a dignitary dies, how they go to the nth degree to make sure that every detail is in place. Now can you imagine the soldiers, 300 of them, aligning the walkway from the palace to the temple or wherever the king would go that these 300 soldiers with their golden shields glistening in the sun reflecting the light and all of their brilliance in each one a hundred and sixty thousand dollars Altogether, 300 of them comes to the total of $50 million of gold that a king would walk through from one place to the next. Your Bible tells us in verse 26 that he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. Everybody say treasures. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, and he also took away all the gold shields that Solomon had made. You see, gold in the Old Testament meant something more than it does in our culture. In the Bible, gold represents favor. It was a sign of glory. And in Israel's case, the presence of God. The holy of holies. The Ark of the Covenant, the seraphims and cherubims, all of the utensils, many of them covered in the purest of gold, which again was a reflection of God's favor, his glory, and his presence. 
Egypt arrival of Israel. He went to the heart of the king and said, I'm going to take the thing that represents your splendor, your glory, and your favor. I'm not going to be content just to rob your home, but I'm going to go into the house of God. And I'm after one thing. I'm after the representation of your favor and your glory and the presence of God. Read your Bible when it talks about the significance of gold in the representation of God. And this king comes and says, I'm coming after the gold in the house. I'm going to pillage it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to rob you. And I'm going to steal it from you and make it my own. Look at your scripture. Israel was in such a bad place prior to this invasion and even more so after the invasion. Notice what Rehoboam did. In verse 26, it says again, they took the treasures from the house of God and the treasures from the king's house. And he took away everything. He took away all of the gold shields which Solomon had made. Verse 27, now this is a tragedy of the highest kind. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place. He did not replace gold for gold, but he decided, I'm going to take this symbolism and this activity, and I'm not going to put gold back in it and on it and have my soldiers carry these heavy golden shields. I'm going to make a substitute and I'm going to give them bronze instead. Keep going. It's good. This king settled for bronze when God instructed for gold. Bronze was cheaper. Bronze was easier. But here, again, bronze gave the appearance of gold. You see, you can take bronze and you can polish it, shine it, and from a distance, it looks just like the real thing. Mm. King Rehoboam had the opportunity to restore the house of God and to reclaim its glory and to give back the gold. But he decided, I'm going to go a different route. He said, you know what? These bronze shields will make a proclamation and a declaration that God's glory and presence is, is the same and, and, and there wouldn't be a difference. But I've come to tell you this, that bronze is not gold. Now, bronze is not completely worthless. No, it does have a value, but nothing compared to gold. In fact, you can make a bronze shield for $80. 
and make it glisten and shine and polish it to make it look like a $160,000 gold shield. The gold weighed twice as much. Mm. It was easier to carry. You could stand up under it, this bronze shield, for hours without having a change of guard. It wasn't arduous, difficult to handle, to maneuver. In fact, it was quite easy. Can I declare this morning that the gold is a clear representation in your Bible of the glory of God? The weight of God? In fact, the word glory in the Old Testament literally means the weightiness of God. Now, these gold shields that Solomon had made were not used in battle. It was unnecessary. They were a representation of the resplendence of God because God constantly reminded them as long as they keep him center and in the forefront that he is the Yahweh, the God that fights their battles for them. There is one thing that I measure in this church, and one thing only. I do not measure the success of this church on how many people come, or how many dollars are in the offering plate. I do not measure the success of this church on the talent that is on this platform, or who speaks, or who does not speak. When I walk into the building on a Wednesday or a Monday after travels, or I come here on a Saturday in quiet solitude, when I walk through those doors, I listen and I stick up my finger in the Spirit and I want to know the density of the presence of God. When I walk through the doors, I want to feel something come upon my shoulders. I want to feel the weight of God upon me. I do not want bronze in this house. A representation of the gospel that shines like gold, but gold it is not. To the common man, when you walk into the building sometimes, you cannot discern whether what is up on this platform or happening in these aisles and rows of our church You cannot discern whether it is bronze or gold. I can. And many in this house can as well. I am here to tell us today that we are not going to have a polished product that simply glistens and shines underneath the light, but yet there's no glory in the midst of it. Come on, somebody. Am I in the right house this morning? So allow me to digress for just a moment. I feel in my spirit that this 1 Kings chapter 14 is a prophetic word for the body. I think it is exactly what the church has done over the last few decades. The gold in our churches has been stolen. 
And if it has not been stolen away, we have simply exchanged it for a lighter, cooler, more tolerable version of the glory and the work of God. If you will be honest with me and not judge a church by its size or how many services or campuses they have, do not judge an individual based upon how many followers on Instagram they have or how pity and attractive perhaps their TikTok videos are. If you will just pull back for just a moment and not judge a ministry based upon how a person looks and presents himself or herself in the public eye. I make this declaration with brokenness in my heart, with a sense of calm but nervousness. Virtually most, if not all, of the gold is vacant in our churches. Somewhere along the way, we've lost it. That weight, that presence, that awe, that fear, that respect, that brokenness, the contrition, the awe, that when we walk into the house of God, we don't walk in with our latte in one hand and our flip-flops on the other and in with our little shorts thinking, I can't wait till this gets over because I'm going to be on my boat for the rest of the day sipping on a martini. And we prance ourselves into the house of God to fulfill a religious obligation that when we get out of the car and we walk into the building, there is absolutely no presence. There is nothing that checks you in your heart. There's nothing that confronts your spirit. There is nothing that says, hey, I need you to pause for a moment because you're about to step into an essence and a presence that perhaps you may not yet be prepared to tangle with. I feel, I feel, I feel in my spirit that we, along the way, we have lost this glory, this gold that belongs into the house of God. We've misplaced it somewhere. Please help me find it. Somebody, please help me look for this misplaced glory. Our sermons tickle us. They're no longer called sermons. They're no longer called messages. They're called talks. No, we need a sermon. We need a message from God. We need the men and women of God that stand behind this holy desk. Not, listen, please stop with the cuteness. Quit, just stop with trying to be relevant and stay awake, awoke, if you will. We need somebody that has reclaimed and recaptured the glory of God that has said, I'm going to put gold on the shields and bring it back to the house of God. But I am afraid. I am afraid. I am afraid. We've done exactly like King Rehoboam. We made shields of bronze. Our worship services under the flashing lights 
make our presentation look like gold. Bronze. All bronze. The words that we use say we have gold. Mostly bronze. Hmm. Our ministries shimmer and shine in public. We portray ourselves as if we have gold. But if we're honest, it's mostly bronze. A lesser version of the same. I'm not criticizing or being judgmental. You know that. You've been with me long enough to know that. I carry a very heavy burden, not only for Christ fellowship, but for the body of Christ at large, for pastors and leaders. I feel that most churches today are surrounded by bronze shields. Never in the history of the church has there been more talent. Never in the church's history has there been more skill. I love talent. I love skill. We want that. These are not mutually exclusive. Most of the people on our platforms look like they have their acts together. The pastors and the teachers and the communicators are by far the best the Christian world has ever known as far as their orator skills. Our youth programs, children's programs, Bible studies, small group outreaches, are, all of it is being processed and it is done in an exquisite fashion and executed to perfection. Do you hear what I'm saying? But by and large, if I can be so bold, the church has lost the glory. And we replaced it with a cheap imitation. The preaching's not bad, but there's no weight to it. I want to know what weight you carry. I don't, ask, I don't want to know how many church members you have. I don't want to know how many campuses you have. I want to know what kind of weight you carry with God. Amen. Yes. Where's the gold level? Are you 8 carat? Are you 10 carat? you 14 carat? you 18 carat? Are you 24? I want to know how much gold is on the inside of you. Come on, talk to me in this house. I'm not interested if you can strum that guitar, play those drums, sing, and the highest of all melodies. I'm not interested in your talent. We can buy talent. You can get talent anybody, anywhere you want to. Throw them $300 of service. You can have people lining up here all day long. You can have talent all you want. I want to know the gold level in your life. I want to know what's the weight on the inside of you. What's your convictions? What's your, li what's your private life look like? What's your television screen time look like? I want to know what kind of weight that you carry. I don't need to go that degree. I don't need to go into that direction, Pastor. You know what? I'm saved. I'm good. I'm great. I, you're now all into legalism. I'm interested. Are you a bronze singer? Are you a gold singer? I want to know, are you a bronze preacher? Are you a gold preacher? Oh, come on now, somebody in this house. Hey, hallelujah.
people who have never tasted the glory of God and the power of God will echo, listen to this, that what we have in our churches is good enough. Those that have never tasted and felt the weight of God, the all of God, the fear of God, the conviction of God, the love, the grace, the mercy of God, all encompassing in one moment, will walk into churches and they'll find, oh, this feels good, this looks right, oh, that's cool, I'm entertained by that, I'm engaging in this, this is, this is a positive vibe environment, this is really making me feel really whole right now, and they'll just come in here and they'll just go, oh my goodness, they say, this is good, this is, I like it. I'm, I'm not interested in if we like it. I'm interested in God's gold. People say, church needs to meet my needs. I like it. I like it here. It meets my needs. I feel good when I'm there. Mm -hmm. But you leave empty, dry, discouraged, disillusioned, void of any encounter with the raw power of God in your life that confronts us over our carnality, that confronts us over our compromises, that confronts us over our lack of purity in our own hearts. You got to be careful because bronze shields look just like the real thing. It's attractive. It's compelling. It's persuasive. It feels right. It looks right. It sounds right. There's an allurement to it. Don't settle. Touch your neighbor right now and say, don't settle. settle. I've noticed this about bronze. You don't have to guard it as closely. You don't have to keep an eye on it. I know where all my gold is. I don't have a lot, but I have a few things. I know exactly where they are. Locked up, locked away, tucked away, eye on it. You going near that? Here, I got a little document I need you to sign. Bring me the key. Bronze, I don't care. I was told by a preacher, listened to him preach, he said they, they said they used to determine whether it was gold or bronze coin by the way that they would rub it. And they would rub it to the point that it would get hot. And when it got hot, it would produce an odor. You could rub gold and no stench or stink comes. I don't have to guard it, and I can watch you. When things begin to rub against you, you get asked to do something, you get asked by someone to, to, to make an adjustment or correction at work or home or what. I can, I can tell whether or not there's gold on the inside of you or bronze on the, uh, bronze on the inside of you because of the stink that you raise. Oh, come on now. I'm not going to go there. You don't have to guard it as closely. It's not as valuable. It's easily replaced. Just hire another person. 
Get somebody more talented. Get a better preacher. Talk to me. Nobody's robbing you to come after your bronze. They're coming after your gold. They want your gold. The devil is after our gold. The devil's after the gold in this room. And I'm not talking about monetarily gold and physical gold, hard gold. And I'm talking about the glory in this house. He's after the weight of God. I refuse to have a church with less calories. Gold weighs more. Bronze weighs less. Y'all remember back in the day that you could drink your liquor or your beer, I should say, and it was always advertised as what? Miller Lite, Michelob Light, Bud Light, Light. Light. Drink all you want. And don't have to worry about the calories. Bronze churches are all about light. We don't want you to have to worry about the calories. But I'm here to tell you that if you are in a glory church, there's a weight to it and there's no diet. There's no shortcut. Talk to me in this place. There is absolutely no shortcut. I'm here to tell Christ Fellowship Church that we're not going to have a church with less calories, less responsibility. Come on now, somebody. Bronze, less responsibility, mm, less pressure. I'm telling you, wherever the glory is, there's pressure. We're not going to have a church, now watch this, with less conviction and more convenience, more positive, more uplifting, more understanding, and more tolerant, or more inclusion, or more openness. No, we're going to have a church that is filled with the glory of God, the gold of God in this house, and we're going to let the pieces fall wherever they may. We're not going to cater, now let me tell you this, we're not going to cater a version of church to make it suitable to your particular palate. I'm going to say it over here. We're not going to create a version of church to make it suitable to a particular palate. Well, we don't want that version of Christianity because the Gen X's and the millennials and all these others, they don't like to be talked to that way. So let's just keep dumbing things down Catering to a culture that's... Let's just keep neutering the word. Let's keep spading the word of God until there's no teeth there. There's no power there. There's no potency there. There's no punch there. There's no conviction there. There's no fear there. Let's just keep watering it down until we find exactly what they want. I mean, pastors kill me. They do. They'll change their whole purpose of how they do church for one people group. Oh, we're, genera- we're Generation X. We're Generation Z church. We're, we're, we're this, that, and the other. I go, dude, can you imagine being with Apostle Paul at a table? Can you imagine sitting in a room with 
Peter the Apostle. And you and your 21st century version skinny jean self and walking in and you're sitting down at the table and say, hey guys, I just want you to know over the last 2100 years that we've made some modifications. And we want y'all to know that the way y'all did it is not completely, exactly how we think it should work in our 21st century, because you know we're a different time, different element. We got phones, we got cars, we got, you know, we can fly now, and we don't have to take a boat everywhere. And we also, you know, so you, you guys sit down and listen to me. And they'll listen to you. Yeah. And they'll say something like this Are you done? I just need to know, are you through? Bloviating. Are you through? Yeah, I'm done. He'd take that version, that paper that you, and he would take it like, and he would just simply rip it. Yes. One side to the, he says, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna conduct your entire ministry to reach a particular age group. And you have studied them like you have studied animals on their tendencies, their frets, their fears, their taste, what they like, what they don't like, what they get offended by. And so you're going to take and cater an entire, you're going to build a church structure around accommodating the fancy whims and changing to a group of people so that you can attract a crowd and tell them about Jesus. Can I say something without being ugly? Can I just, this is the crap that we have gone through. Lord, forgive me. This is the mess. This is what's coming down the pikes of our church growth seminars. This right here, this mess, this malarkey, this manure that's come down our seminaries and colleges and our church growth conferences that has caused us to get into this mess that we are in today. Well, you can't relate to a young person. Oh, yeah? Tell that to the young people that walk into our building with scars on their arms. And they go to a church and it's all haze and lights and fog and jumping around and all that. And I'm all for all that. I'm not anti-lights. I'm not anti-haze. I'm not saying. But most of that's just bronze. It's the substitute of the real thing. Tell that to the hundreds of young people that have walked in with scars on their arms. And they'll show us, say, Mama doesn't even know about this, and pull up their leg britches here and say, I even cut right here so that nobody can see it. And you tell one of them young people that there's a God in this place that can touch them and heal them and deliver them and set them free. They're not interested if I am technically savvy on TikTok, Instagram, or anything like that. All they know is my life is such a wreck right now. I need someone. I don't care if he's 75 years of age. I need somebody that has a word for God. I need somebody that is not an online superstar. Come on now. That can stand up and begin to preach the whole counsel of God and tell me what's wrong with my life and help me get things right. This garbage is coming through. Guys, this stuff that's coming down in our churches today, you better be leery. It's shiny. It's brassy. It looks good. But I'm telling you, many of it is nothing more than bronze and there's no gold. 
They don't preach the whole cancel. They don't deal with sin. They don't deal with adultery. They don't deal with lesbianism, gayism, transgenderism. They just completely just overlook it because they're interested in getting you in that seat more than changing your heart. All right. Now, I've gone Star Trek on you today. I've gone where no preacher's gone before. <laughs> and this upsets us because some of us have spent our entire life in that culture. What can I do to put something up that's shiny? The point is, if I have to get you here by something shiny, I've got to continue to keep polishing my brass and it will wear me out. Do you feel that, Austin? I know this is offensive. But how many ministries and, 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 and platforms are built upon brass? We need gold back in the house. We need the weight of God back in the house. And it doesn't happen, Josh, by me studying longer. Practicing longer, preparing longer. It happens when a man or a woman becomes broken before God and says, God, anything in my life that offends you, grieves you, discourages you, in any way, God, I give you permission to reveal it and I'll be quick to repent of it and turn from it. Not perfection, but pursuit of his heart and of his face. Talk to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? The glory of the Lord is in this room. And my number one job as a pastor, hear this. I need to say it over and over again. Don't take offense to it. But my number one job as a man of God in this place is not to preach this Bible. It is not to preach the book. I love this book and I preach this book, but that's not my role. That's not my number one job. Nor is my number one job to feed you, to open up the book and say, here, let me, you know, let me just kind of here the little spoon feed you right here. Okay. Open up real wide. There it comes. Open That's not my job. My job's not even to disciple you. I love it. I want to, but I'm not going to give my life to that. Do you hear what I'm saying? We do that, but that's not my job. My job is not even to win you, Alan, if you're unsaved, to win you to the Lord. That's not my job. It's a part of my activities, but that's not my number one job. My number one role as a pastor is to do this right here, to create a culture in my heart, individually, when you're not looking, in the private, that is attractive to God. To make sure that I've not built things that God says, I want to be filled with gold. I substitute it for bronze. And then my top priority as the pastor of this church is to create an environment in this church that is conducive and attractive to God. A habitation for His glory. I protect the gold in the house. And if you touch the gold inappropriately... We'll talk about it. Yeah. 
You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's tempting to touch the gold. <laughs> right? It's tempting to touch the glory. It's tempting. But we don't touch it. We don't touch the water. We don't touch the testimony. We don't touch what God's doing on that platform. We don't touch what he's doing at the altar. We just continue to give him space. So here's my church growth. Here's church growth. You ready, Kevin, for this? Here's church growth. Here's church growth. Save you thousands and thousands. Hey, Steve. It'll save you thousands of dollars from going and traveling to a, to a church growth conference. Find your spot on the floor as a man or woman of God and get this holy book and pour your life over it and into it and let it get into you and let the pages become wilted because of the tears that fall from your face. And you say, oh God, may this book in me be meshed as one. And God, I don't want to do anything that grieves you and offends you. And I ask, oh God, that my heart would always be broken and contrite before you. And then you stay on that floor until you feel his weight. Until the glory of God comes upon you. And then, then, and only then do you get up and then you take that sacred desk. And you don't worry if there's an eight-year-old, a millennial, a Gen Z, or whatever's in the room trying to say a certain word a certain way so that they don't think you're uncool or cool. And you just simply say, here's a word from God. And let the Holy Spirit penetrate their heart to the very core and then leave the results to a holy God who has the capacity to draw every person to himself. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is church growth 101. This is how you build the kingdom. The youth pastor does the same thing. The children's pastor does the same thing. The small group pastor does the same thing. The executive pastor does the same thing. The Akineo pastor does the same thing. God, I'm not going to be about just saying words. I want to have you in me that when I speak, it cuts to the heart. It cuts down to the very soul. And then that's when we have our altars filled with 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 23-year-olds, 28-year-olds, 33-year-olds, 40-year-olds and 50 year olds and we're not studying Gen Z all this type of stuff but we're studying the book and saying God we want the glory to come back into the house hey stand to your feet all across the room Karen your Caneo staff the greatest responsibility is not how many. There'll be close to 1,500 to 2,000 students in Caneo this next year. There'll be over 50 campuses all over the world. I love it, but it doesn't impress me. Because in a nighttime, 24 hours, it can turn to bronze. Do you hear what I'm saying? These revival pools up here, within 24 hours, can turn to bronze. People still keep coming, looking for that one miracle. Maybe this is the person. Maybe this is the one. You hear what I'm saying? Yes. Everything that we have can be exchanged. God told me very quickly in three and a half, four years ago, really four years ago, when I said, God, what do I do with this? How do I pastor this move of God? And if I ever heard God speak, he said these words. He said, Todd, hold it loosely. 
but guard it ferociously. Hold it loosely and guard it ferociously. It's heavy, I know. Some of you have been standing here holding your shield for five years. And you're thinking, I need a break. It's okay. I get it. That's why we have teams now. But don't lessen. Don't settle for bronze. Well, I need a church that doesn't require so much. We require, amen. I need something with less responsibility. Don't exchange what you're holding for convenience. Tonight, it takes about 200, how many volunteers on a Sunday night? Over 200 volunteers. About 200 people on Sunday night to do what we do. That's just the workers behind the scenes. Can I tell you what I see? I see 200 of you holding gold shields. And as the king would walk from his royal palace to the house of God, he walked right between those soldiers. As that man comes tonight that lost his vision, or that daughter that's coming tonight that has stage three cancer the individual that's coming tonight that cuts himself and drinking himself into a stupor they're going to walk through 200 gold carrying shield bearing soldiers And some are coming just like the Queen of Sheba. I have heard about this place. And now my eyes have seen. And the half was not told to me. The full splendor of this place. May we not exchange because of fatigue, weariness, God's work exchange for bronze in any capacity. Let's hold the gold shield. That's why we pray seven times a week. That's why over a hundred people last night gathered here to pray. That's why two to three hundred people will be here tonight at five to pray. Tomorrow night on Monday, it'll be a hundred to two hundred people in prayer. Why? It takes work. Spiritually fit. To stand up under the weight of his glory. God, we praise you. We thank you. Now in this room, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, people all over the room, now watch this. So many of us. You're looking for a place, a church, 
you're thinking, is this the place I need to be? I want to put out a disclaimer. This church is not perfect. These pastors are far from it. But I believe our heart is turned toward His glory. If you come to this house, God will require a lot from you. But it will be worth it all. You, first of all, will be in the water and you'll be touched and changed. And then you'll hold the shield for someone else. And you'll take your place. We want you to pray with us. Not at home, but with us. Amen. We want you to serve with us. Amen. Help us host the presence of God in this place. Mm. So other queens can come from around the world. And say, the half was not told to me. And I have seen. So make Christ Fellowship your church home after prayer and much thought. Count the cost. But if you're ready for an adventure of your lifetime to see miracles, signs, and wonders, to cry, to weep over sin in your own heart, and the fire to be ignited again in your soul, then welcome home. Welcome home. Everybody in this room said amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Lord. All right, two things. Two things. One, Pastor David Edmondson tonight at 6 o'clock North Georgia Revival, prayers at 5. Be sure that you're here for that. Number two, Larry and Kay Peoples are concluding their trip to India. Over a thousand people got born again. Signs and wonders. They're flying back. We'll be here Tuesday, hopefully here Wednesday. Not sure because of jet lag, but we need to pray for them. Number three, our team is leaving today or tomorrow for Honduras. 19 people are going to Honduras to preach the gospel. So they're going to get in these waters. And we're going to immerse them all at the same time. So you guys climb in very quickly, if you would. I want all of you just to kind of gather around the water right here very quickly. We're going to pray over them. 19 children, 19 adults, 19 young people are going to be going. Just come on, everybody, this way. Presence of the Lord. The fire of God. shake the world isn't this beautiful we rejoice over every everyone that has already been on the mission trip I, within the next three to four years every, every single person will be on the mission field at some point some point 
short term, two weeks, five days, three days. Thank you, Lord. I want you to extend your hands over them, if you would, church. Let's pray. Brian and Marty and our team, you're commissioned from Christ Fellowship Church and the North Georgia Revival to not take bronze, to not carry bronze, but to carry gold. That the full weight of God would be upon you. The splendor, the favor, the protection of God. As He watches over you as you go through customs, board the plane, deboard the plane. As you travel that two and a half to three and a half hours from the airport to the mission field, the launching place. No drunk driver, no text messaging. Lord, do you keep them from wrecks and harms? Lord, even the bugs will be minimal in Jesus' name. The mosquitoes, malaria, nothing along those lines. No sickness and disease shall come near their dwelling. No food poisoning, no water poisoning. Lord, that fatigue will not be a factor as well. They may be physically tired, but Lord, not to the point of complete exhaustion and, 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 and Lord, danger. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that there will be unity among the group. That we'll move as one, a team. I thank you, Lord, that their tongues will be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. That their fingertips, Lord Jesus, will be used in unprecedented, extraordinary ways to lay hands on the sick to see them recover. That the blind eyes will open. The deaf ears will open. The stiff shoulders will pop open, Lord. The dislocated joints will be placed back in the prophet's socket, Lord, the proper socket immediately. Lord, that they'll even see creative miracles, Lord, that even toes would begin to grow. Yeah. But Lord, even on top of it all, may the healings that they witness be the children's bread so the people can come to the crusades and be born again. So we extend our hands, Lord, our covering over them in the name of Jesus, and we send them out in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as they go down in these waters and immerse themselves, and I want you guys to come toward the middle, if you would, middle of the water, come to the middle of the water. Lord, as they immerse themselves, you said, Lord, five years ago that you're going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit and fire. Lord, even as you were baptized in water, not because of the sin in your life, but Lord, because you are now stepping into your assignment. You said, Lord, that the heavens opened and the, and the dove descended, O oh God, and came upon them. Lord, may the Holy Spirit and fire baptize them in these waters. So now, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, self-immerse yourself. Lord Jesus they leave tomorrow and they'll be back with us in 10 to 12 days Ask, uh, Brian when do you guys the second group goes when in a couple weeks 
in July, our young people will be down as well. And then in October will be our third group. If you're not in one of those groups, maybe the October group, you could go. It'd be great. Can I bless you, Father? I thank you for our team. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room. God, I am, I am in all of what you have done and what you're about to do in this place tonight. I thank you for healings and miracles, signs and wonders, but Lord, the weight that crushes us and pulls and pushes out of us everything, oh God, that you desire from us. Fill us with your power, your love, your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody in this house said amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you so much.